0: Section One of the Lost Valley. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Jared Wetzel Brown. The Lost Valley by Algernon Blackwood. Section One Mark and Stephen, twins, were remarkable even of their kind. They were not so much one soul split in twain as two souls fashioned in precisely the same mold. Their characters were almost identical—taste, hopes, fears, desires, everything. They even liked the same food, wore the same kind of hats, ties, suits, and, strongest link of all, of course disliked the same things, too. At the age of thirty-five neither had married, for they invariably liked the same woman, and when a certain type of girl appeared upon their horizon they talked it over frankly agreed it was impossible to separate and together turned their backs upon her for a change of scene before she could endanger their peace for their love for one another was unbounded irresistible as a force of nature tender beyond words and their one keen terror was that they might one day be separated To look at, even for twins, they were uncommonly alike. Even their eyes were similar, that grey-green of the sea that sometimes changes to blue and at night becomes charged with shadows. And both faces were of the same strong type, with aquiline noses, stern-lipped mouths, and jaws well marked. They possessed imagination, real imagination, of the winged kind, and at the same time the fine controlling will without which such a gift is apt to prove a source of weakness. Their emotions too were real and living, not the sort that merely tickle the surface of the heart, but the sort that plough. Both had private means, yet both had studied medicine because it interested them. Mark specializing in diseases of eye and ear, Stephen in mental and nervous cases. And they carried on a select, even a distinguished, practice in the same house in Wimpole Street with their names on the brass plate thus, Dr. Mark Winters, Dr. Stephen Winters. In the summer of 1900 they went abroad together as usual for the months of July and August. It was their custom to explore successive ranges of mountains, collecting the folklore and natural history of the region into small volumes, neatly illustrated with Stephen's photographs and this particular year they chose the je that portion of it rather that lies between the lac de Joux, bonnes and fleurier for obviously they could not exhaust a whole range in a single brief holiday they explored it in sections year by year and they invariably chose for their headquarters quiet unfashionable places where there was less danger of meeting attractive people who might break in upon the happiness of their profound brotherly devotion the incalculable, mystical devotion of twins. For abroad, you know, Mark would say, people have an insinuating way with them that is often hard to withstand. The chilly English reserve disappears. Acquaintanceship becomes intimacy before one has time to weigh it. Exactly, Stephen added. The conventions that protect one at home suddenly wear thin, don't they? And one becomes soft and open to attack unexpected attack. They looked up and laughed, reading each other's thoughts like trained telepathists. What each meant was the dread that one should, after all, be taken and the other left by a woman. Though at our age, you know, one is almost immune, Mark observed, while Stephen, smiling, agreed philosophically, or ought to be. Is, quoth Mark decisively, for, by common consent, Mark played the role of the elder brother. His character, if anything, was a shade more practical. He was slightly more critical of life, perhaps, Stephen being ever more apt to accept without analysis, even without reflection. But Stephen had that richer heritage of dreams, which comes from an imagination loved for its own sake. End of Section 1